Hello. There we go. Good morning. How you guys doing? Cool. Well, uh, as John mentioned, we are going to be talking about evangelism for the next few weeks. This is uh, obviously a super important topic for us, and we're going to talk about why and some of the intricacies of evangelizing. Um, I'm going to be pulling some material from this sermon for the book Tactics. Uh, it's this book right here. It's by a guy named Greg Kogel. Great name. But uh, yeah, Tactics. It's a game plan for discussing your Christian convictions. So I highly recommend you check this book out. Uh, it goes far more in-depth than I can in a sermon about methods and techniques for engaging people to talk to them about Jesus and open them up to the truth of Christianity. So who likes free stuff? All right. A lot of people. Let's see. Guy, actually, if you can help me out here. The, the young lady here on the end, right there. I'll provide that for her. Um, also, uh, anybody uh, like a fan of the, there was a TV show called Cold Case. Anybody remember that one? Anybody watch that? All right, cool. Girl in yellow back there. You can take this to her and yeah, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll pray for you for watching TV and stuff, but um, no, kidding. She's over here on this side. Sorry. Sorry. I'm making you walk all over the, the auditorium. But that, uh, that book, it's called Cold Case Christianity. It's by a guy named Jay Warner Wallace. And he was a cold case detective. And he was an atheist. And he actually solved every single cold case that ever came across his desk. So he was really good at being a detective. But he was an atheist. And he thought, well, maybe if I apply the same skills I have for cracking cold cases, I can kind of disprove this whole Christianity thing. And uh, that didn't work out too well for him. Um, he, he wound up giving his, his life to Christ. So... Uh, that book is his journey and, and how he found the truth of Scripture and uh, the truth of Christianity. So it's a really good book. I highly recommend you check it out. Um, it may be really hard for you to believe uh, based upon my impeccable, super sculpted physique, but I am not good at sports at all. The reason is because I've always gravitated towards music and the arts because I'm a nerd. And as a result, I don't make very many sports references. But this is Murica, where sports reign supreme. So today, I'm going to be making some baseball references. So here's a little baseball story. When I was in grade school, I started off playing t-ball and then eventually moved up to baseball. And baseball was not fun for me because I stunk. <laughs> um, I was no good at it. But it stunk not just because I wasn't a good athlete. I have this weird thing where my brain seems to contain a magnetic force that pulls baseballs towards my skull. <sighs> yeah, go ahead and laugh at my pain. Um, I took baseballs to my dome on a regular basis. Uh, you might think, you know, I was, I was the kid who really stunk, so I was always in left field, right? And you'd think eight-year-olds can't crack a pop fly into left field. Oh, yes, they can. Oh, yes, they can. Frequently. Uh, once... I was actually at a practice, a practice, and I caught a pop fly with my face, only to plummet into the dirt and land on a bee. That happened. That happened. <laughs> Once in t-ball, right before a game, my coach got the bright idea he was going to put me on the pitcher's mound. Why do you need somebody playing pitcher in a t-ball game? But anyway, he put me there right before the game. Never been there before in my whole life. First kid gets up to the plate. First swing, boom, knocked me flat on the ground. And the other kids were like, you can see the laces on your skull from the ball, the little red lines. <laughs> like, 
I didn't like baseball. So it's kind of understandable. I developed a really solid fear of getting hit by baseballs. So when I graduated from T-ball to pitch ball, I was terrified to get up to the bat. I was scared of the ball. So I would jump back from the plate every single time they threw the ball. I was an embarrassment to my team, I was an embarrassment to myself, and I was kind of an embarrassment to my dad because he was the assistant coach. <laughs> my dad was actually a great baseball player when he was a kid, so I wanted to be like him. I wanted to be like my dad. I wanted to make him proud of me. But I felt like a total failure. But my dad was pretty cool, though. He came up with an idea to help me get motivated. He said, all right, if you can just get on base, just hit the ball, get on base, I'll give you five bucks. All right, so this is, this is 1986. So like five bucks can buy like a used Ford Festiva. This was a big deal. And plus, he was like, it'll, it'll be cumulative. So, you know, you hit first base, second base, third base. That's tw 20 bucks if I make a home run. So now I'm inspired. I'm like, all right, I'm going to do this. I got to make this happen. But I got up to plate and I still couldn't do it. My fear overwhelmed me and I backed away again. Then one day at school, I overheard some kids talking about baseball, and I heard one of them say something like, and so then the bat hit the catcher, and uh, the, the ump walked him. I'm like, no, 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 wait, wait, what did you just say? They explained to me, there's a rule that if when you swing, you hit the catcher with your bat, he's too close to the plate, and the ump will rule that, and they will walk you. <laughs> you see where this is going. I'm like, I found my ticket. And yes, I was an extremely devious eight-year-old. So, yeah. So the next time I get up to bat, I know a lot of you are like, what does this have to do with evangelism? I'm getting to it. Trust me, I'll get there. So I get up to bat, and I absolutely clock the kid. I hit him so hard, I turned the mask around on his face. Yeah. Uh, let me take a moment and say this story is descriptive. So it's what happened. It's not prescriptive. Don't do this. This was a bad idea. So thank God he was okay. But uh, I look up at the umpire. I'm like, dude, walk me. <laughs> and he said, you, you're out of the game. On the bench now. I'm like, no, 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 no. He was too close. He was too close to the plate. There's a rule. I get to walk. Well, apparently my, my, my backwards swing was a little bit too obvious. He knew what I was up to, so uh, that didn't go well. I got ejected from the game, and I had a really long car ride home with my dad. Why did I assault that poor kid and smear his nose across his face? Because I was afraid. I wanted to succeed at something that was really important to me. I wanted to make my dad proud of me. I wanted to get the reward that was in store. But fear overwhelmed me. And I was allowing that fear to influence my decisions. So in the end, it actually prevented me from getting what I wanted. And it hurt somebody who was innocent. That was the last game I ever played in baseball. I didn't try again. I tell that story because I think that actually closely resembles some of our thoughts towards evangelism. We want to succeed at something that's really important to us. We want to make our Father God proud of us. We're told of vast rewards that await the faithful followers of Jesus who tell other people about him. But man, evangelism seems hard. It's scary. In some parts of the world, it is actually dangerous. 
you can even lose your life for telling others about Jesus Christ, not just get a catcher's mitt smeared across your face. But since that's not the kind of place we live in, thank God, today I'm going to focus mostly on the overcoming of our fears, that awkwardness of evangelism within our local area. So what if we could remove the pressure of feeling like a failure if every conversation we had didn't turn into a conversion for Christ? Well, I think that pressure to turn every conversation and somebody submitting their life to Jesus, that pressure and that fear of rejection prevent us from even trying to share our faith. So what if instead of knocking a home run or even getting on base, all we had to do was just get up to bat? Just walk up to the plate ready to play. Sounds a lot easier. The pressure's off. We can do that. But can we effectively communicate the gospel and get somebody to surrender their heart to Jesus by taking that approach? Well, first, I want to take a moment and look into why we should evangelize. Simply put, for the Bible tells me so. If you look at Matthew 28, verse 19, It says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Personally, when somebody mentions evangelism, this verse in Matthew is the first one that comes to mind. Along with it, there are a couple of companion verses in the other, other Gospels. In Mark 16, 15, it says, And he said to them, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to all of creation. In Luke 24, 47, he says, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. These three verses are a direct call to go out into all the world and share the good news about Jesus, starting at home and then going out to the rest of the world. And this command is not subtle and it's not vague. Jesus explicitly tells his disciples and us by way of to go and tell others about him. Tell the good news that we are saved by him. It doesn't matter what your Myers-Briggs personality test looks like. We are all called to evangelize individuals. <laughs> We're called to evangelize individuals and nations for the kingdom of God. It is absolutely non-negotiable. All of us fellow introverts are like, no, but it's true. But hang in there. I've got some tips that are going to help. So we as Christians also, you know, we should be proud. We should be eager to share Christ with other people, to share what Jesus has done in our lives. We have been saved. And what we've been saved from should be an important motivation for us. The Bible clearly states that those who do not accept the sacrifice of Jesus and make him Lord of their lives end up in absolute torment day and night forever. That's hell. That's bad. But that's the weight of what's on the line. Everyone you've ever known is immortal. Not that they'll live forever here on this earth, but they will exist eternally. All of us will. Either in God's presence, as we were designed to be, or eternally apart from him in anguish. It's not just lights out for people who don't choose Jesus. The gospel of Jesus Christ saves people from something they need to be saved from. We're not just chasing numbers to pad our ego. We're not just giving somebody the keys to their best life now. We're introducing them to Jesus. Avoid hell, get eternal life. And on top of all of that, God does impact our lives for the better. We can know him. We can experience him. We can see him at work in our lives, both when things are going great 
and when we're hurting and we need him the most. So we want to share that, right? We want to see people saved, but how? How are we supposed to do this? Some people have this skill where they can just go up to a stranger and really turn almost every interaction they have into a decision for Christ, and that is awesome. And I am in awe and massive respect of those people. But some of you, like me, might have felt intimidated or even turned off by the way some other people have evangelized, and you think, I can't do that. There was one such guy who used to go through uh, the mall in my hometown of Tulsa, and he would be passing out gospel tracts, but he didn't do it the normal way. He looked like, like an extra from that movie Mad Max. <laughs> and his method was he would run through the mall at an absolute dead run, and he'd come up to you in a rush and then stash something in your hands and be like, dude, here, take this. And then he'd disappear off into the crowd. <sighs> right. The first time this happened to me, I was convinced that he was like on the run from the cops and he just stashed all of his drugs on me. <laughs> I'm like, oh no. And I look down and it's not a bag of China white. It's actually a little tract <laughs> with a little cartoon character saying the sinner's prayer. <laughs> okay. I applaud the guy's desire to share Jesus, but it didn't feel sincere at all. And he hadn't even realized that he gave me like five of those things over the course of six months. And dude, I'm already a follower of Jesus. It felt really impersonal. And to be honest, I had no desire to look or act or smell like him. It kind of turned me off. We want to share our faith, but we don't want to be that guy, right? Well, without some sincere care for the person that we're talking to, and without some level of influence in their lives where they respect or admire some quality of how our faith has shaped us, we're probably not going to make much impact. The people most likely to be receptive to us when we're talking about our faith are the people in our circle. Coworkers, classmates, family and friends, clients, the staff at a restaurant or a coffee shop we frequent, our neighbors. But we often feel like if we don't lead somebody to Jesus by the end of this conversation, it's a failure. So a lot of us are even afraid to get up to bat, afraid to try. We let that fear stop us before we even get a conversation going. So that's what I want to talk about today, is inspiring us to at least start it. Just get up to bat. Start the conversation. The Bible talks about salvations often coming from one person planting a seed, another person watering, and another person harvesting. Each of those take time. It's really difficult to plant, water, and harvest in about 10 minutes. So let's take the pressure off and just focus on starting the process. That's better than riding the bench, right? Doing nothing. We don't want to be so scared we don't do anything, so let's do something. Let's start it. And yes, I just crossed a sports metaphor with a gardening one, so you're going to have to deal with that. So we know we're supposed to spread the gospel. We know we'll have the most impact with people in our circle of influence. We know we don't want to be a weirdo. How do we begin talking about Jesus? Uh, I'll have the beef chimichanga with, uh, let's see, mole is the brown sauce, right? I mean, I'm sorry, maybe you like brown sauce, but it's not my thing. So is, is verde, does that mean green or is that the one that means cow tongue? Okay, definitely verde then. Verde sauce, thanks so much, cool. And if we can get some more water too. Hey, did you know Jesus died for you? Seems kind of awkward to just throw it in. But the current cultural mindset also kind of shapes our resistance to, to sharing the gospel because a lot of people in the current culture seem to think that 
if you disagree with somebody's viewpoint, and especially if you disagree with what is the larger cultural, cultural, cultural is a hard word to say, with the larger cultural mindset, that's usually interpreted as hate. And we don't want anybody to think that we hate them, that we're against them. We don't want to give them the impression that we're intolerant or hostile toward them just because of our convictions. We're telling this, man, seriously. <laughs> we're telling them this because we love them, right? We care about them. We have compassion for them. Well, the Apostle Peter gave us some clear direction on how to evangelize appropriately, and I want to take a look at that. In 1 Peter 3, verse 15, it says, But in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared. That means don't get caught off guard. Be ready to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason Reason, sound thinking, evidence, reasons for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Gentleness and respect is key. We need gentleness because heated arguments don't change people's minds. Uh, if you want some proof of that, just watch any news program that has a political debate. They never end with somebody going, wow. I never thought of it that way. You know, no, no, no. He's got a really good point. I have to rethink this. That doesn't happen. <laughs> we need to step into this with a mindset that if somebody gets angry, we've lost. We talked about the importance of loving people in the past few weeks. This has to be our motivation as followers of Jesus, especially as we evangelize. And we can respectfully get others to deeply think about their viewpoints, those viewpoints that aren't in line with God's word, and hopefully expose some inconsistencies or inadequacies with those viewpoints without a harsh confrontation, actually by just having an enjoyable conversation. How? By asking them the right questions. And with very few exceptions, most people are really happy to talk about themselves. Most of us are. They're happy to answer questions about thoughts and opinions as long as they're asked in a respectful way. Not being sneaky, not trying to corner them into a debate, but genuinely seeking to understand them. So about 10 years ago, I was trying out a new barber. I was sitting in the chair and he's talking, I'm talking, he's cutting my hair, and then he just threw out this remark as he was going and he said, yeah, it's like people who believe in God. People like that are so stupid I can't even talk to them. Well, he knew I was a musician, and usually when people find out I'm a musician, they think, well, he's like other musicians I know, so he's either probably an atheist or he's like into this weird, wishy-washy general spirituality. So he probably thought I was going to agree with him. So what were my options? I could have replied with a really bold, like, well, sinner, I believe God is real. Turn from thine evil ways and accept the mercy of the Lord, lest ye be judged with eternal hellfire. I doubt that would have gone over well. Uh, I could have responded just by getting in his face and saying, I believe in God. Are you saying I'm stupid? Probably not a good result from that one either. Or I could have continued the conversation, genuinely asking, so you're obviously an atheist? 
How did you come to settling on that belief? Or do you really believe all Christians or all people who believe in God are idiots? Why? I'm guessing you had some interesting circumstances to get you to that point. And as the conversation continued, I could ask by throwing out, as I understand it, a lot of our most beneficial inventions and greatest scientific discoveries came from people, men and women, who believed in God or even had a strong Christian faith. What do you think about that? Notice how these questions keep the conversation going, but they're not hostile. They simply ask a question and allow him to further explain himself and hopefully see some inadequacies with his viewpoint. This is something Greg Kokel in the, the tactics book calls putting a stone in their shoe. You ever had that happen? You get a little pebble or a rock, piece of gravel in there, and it's like driving you insane until you can get it out. Well, this is the mental version of that. And that's what I'm talking about when I say just get up to bat. Just have a conversation and try and think of a moment where you can say something to get them to think. In our fast-paced society where our encounters with other people are extremely brief, we might not have time to lay out the reason that people are fallen and we need a savior. We might not be able to give the full explanation of why Christ had to die on the cross, but we can give them something to think about. So the next time that topic comes up, they might think, maybe there's more to this than I've considered. Because honestly, most people these days have not thought long and hard about why they believe what they believe. Again, we're all short on time, so it's easier just to spout like a popular bumper sticker slogan or repeat something we saw some Hollywood actress say than actually think about it. Well, it's, it's great that you're a Christian and all, but you know, that's your truth and you have your truth and I have my truth. There's no like absolute truth. Oh, that's interesting. Would you say that's a true statement? In any conversation, we can be thinking, what one thing can I say? What one question can I ask? What seed can I plant that will get the other person thinking? How can we move this to a spiritual conversation? I found that when I've done this, it usually results in people asking me about my faith. And because it's a conversation, not a sales pitch, not a combat of ideas. They're actually interested in what I have to say. So listen closely to their answers. Seek to understand them. Respond gracefully and respectfully, either with more respectful questions or with answers to their questions. Unfortunately, I do not have a good ending to my atheist barber story. I didn't say anything else because I just didn't know what to say. And I felt like... He'd probably react really badly if I said something else. I wish I knew then what I know now, because in situations like that, when people have kind of bristled at me mentioning my faith, if I explain it's out of a genuine care for them, it usually chills them out. I just say, think about it from my perspective. If I really believed that you were drowning in shark-infested waters and you thought everything was cool, wouldn't you want me to say something? <laughs> Would you want me to throw you a life raft and help you get back in the boat? Well, buddy, I think you're in far more danger than that. And I want to help. Well, I was really inspired to get better at this after the great barber fiasco. So I started studying this stuff and putting it into practice when I would have conversations with people. Fast forward quite a few years. And recently, I have a friend that I will call Dan. So I was, I was hanging out with Dan, having dinner. And he says, you're a Christian, right? I said, yeah, 
of course. He said, well, then if you really believe I'm going to hell because I don't believe what you believe, why haven't you ever tried to help me? Why haven't you ever talked to me about it? Doesn't it kind of seem like you're saying you're okay with me going to hell? I said, well, first, nobody goes to hell because they don't believe what I believe. Uh, that's because they don't have a relationship with Jesus. That's something he said, and I just think he happens to be right. It's not about me, it's about him. Second, I have talked to you about that. I said, when? I like, okay, I remember a couple of years ago when we were in IHOP, and you said you grew up Catholic, and you were bothered that somebody said you wouldn't be able to go to heaven unless you were a member of a specific church. I asked why that bothered you. Then I asked if you knew what the Bible said about that, and we talked about it for a little while. Then we were having dinner once, and you mentioned that there was no way to know which religion was true and that they were all basically the same. I asked why you thought that, and then we talked about it. And then I said, have you actually studied the difference between those religions? And you said no. And so we talked about that for a little while. And then that time you were hanging out in my basement, and you said you were frustrated that somebody from your parents' church was suggesting you weren't saved. And you talked about all the really good charitable things that you've done. And I asked... Why do you think doing great things is what gets people into heaven? Then I asked if you knew what the Bible said about that. And we talked about that for a while. You remember? He goes, oh yeah. So let me ask. The age old, if you walked out of here tonight and you got hit by a truck and you die and you're in the presence of God and he says, why should I allow you into heaven? What would you say? He said, well, I would say I believe Jesus Christ is the son of God and I, you know, I accept the sacrifice he did on the cross, and I've been trying to live my life like he would want me to live it. Okay. <laughs> How long have you believed that? A few years, I guess. It was like since one of those last conversations we had. It's like, well, congratulations, Dan. You've been saved for a few years. I found out even before that he had actually shared his faith with a couple of other people at a business meeting he was at. Why didn't he realize he was saved? Because he was expecting me to do some kind of crazy hands in the air, loud praying, tears down the face, waving a Bible over his head sort of experience. But it was much simpler than that. It was just having these conversations and coming to a knowledge of the true Jesus and believing in him because of the reasons for our faith. There was another time when I did a little bit better than that barber story. And I was working a job for a major car rental company and they were based in my hometown of Tulsa, Oklahoma. My job there was answering their complaint line for the 1-800 number for the entire country. I hated that job. So bad. Really, 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 really bad job. But I prayed about it, and I was convinced that God wanted me to stay there. Begrudgingly, I kept working there. And while I was there, I met a lady named Donna. Donna was about 15 years older than me, and she quickly became like a big sister. She was fun to hang out with. She had a really good sense of humor. And the first time we hung out with some other employees outside of work, I mentioned something about going to church. And she stopped me dead in my tracks and said, don't talk about God. Don't talk about religion. Don't talk about spiritual stuff. It's off limits if you're hanging out with me. I politely explained that I was a Christian, so it's kind of natural for me to talk about those things, but I respected her request. She knew where I stood. Over the next year, I had some opportunities to help Donna as she faced some major difficulties in her life. And of course, 
I was throwing out little suggestions here and there. She stopped me once after a major, major issue in her life that she was dealing with. And she said, why are you the way you are? None of my other friends are like you. None of them are helping me the way you did. I said, well, if you want that answer, I'm going to have to talk about Jesus. <laughs> she said, okay, fine, lay it out. Tell me why you believe what you believe. So we went through the whole thing. Like I started in Genesis and it was all right, well, God created the world and then the fall of man and then, you know, broken people and then we need a savior. So Jesus comes down, saves us, death, burial, resurrection. Here's what's going on in the New Testament. And then I got to tell her about the impact God had in my life, seeing miraculous healings, being able to experience his presence in worship, all these amazing things that had happened in my life, the change I felt in my own heart when I submitted my life to Jesus. So she said, okay, I'm not saying I believe any of this, but I'll think about it. And that was it. Fast forward a month or so, and I'm walking down the hall, and one of her other friends stops me and goes, what did you do to Donna? I said, I don't know what you're talking about. She's telling us we need to go to church with her all the time. She's saying we have to stop living the way we're living. We've got to stop doing the bad stuff we're doing. And hey, okay. So I go to Donna. I'm like, hey, Donna, what's up? I'm hearing uh, rumblings of something being changed. Well, after our talk, she started going to a small church near her. She got saved. She got baptized. It's pretty cool. But I did not know the full impact of my talk with Donna until a couple of weeks after I moved here to Chicago. Um, I had just moved here, and I got a call one night from my brother, and he said, um, last night, Donna had a major seizure while she was sleeping, and she died. So turned back around, drove back to Tulsa, and I got to speak at Donna's funeral and tell people there about her faith. There's a false idea out there that to evangelize well, all we have to do is just live a good life, just love people well. That's great. It's good to do that. You probably even heard the phrase, preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. I used to say that all the time. And there's something good in that phrase that, that talks about emphasizing walking out our faith and not just talking about it. That's great. But that statement's not in the Bible, and there's something in the Bible that actually contradicts it. I was nice to Donna. I was loving to Donna. But so were a lot of other people. I've known some super nice people who were far from God. In some cases, they were a lot nicer and more loving than me and a bunch of other Christians I knew. But nobody surrendered their lives to Jesus over their niceness. We have to speak the gospel for people to come to Christ. Here's the proof. Romans, Romans chapter 10, verse 13. It says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Awesome. Good news. How then can they call on the one who they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? It is essential 
that we can effectively communicate the gospel to other people. This is the point of the Great Commission. This is why it's so important that we do missions not just locally, but worldwide. Some of us may have like a gifting of faith where we just simply believe because we just believe. Unbelievers don't have that. <laughs> we have to talk to them in a way that is understandable and convincing. Even if you've got enough answers to convince yourself, we need to dig deep into the evidence of Christianity to convince and build the faith of others who aren't there yet. The Bible says we need to always be prepared to communicate the reasons behind our faith. We need to study Scripture. We need to study the history behind what happened during these times in Scripture. A lot of people don't even know there's archaeology that actually supports a lot of what happened in here. The evidence that we have from eyewitness accounts and the, the original written manuscripts from that time, well, the earliest manuscripts from that time, the evidence from that is overwhelming, far more so than most of the popular works that came even anywhere near that time in history. The evidence for the Bible is overwhelming. So dig into that. Know how to answer the common questions that people have about it. But do be selective about the source you use. You want to get your information from a reputable, reliable source that gives solid references for the research that they've done. Random YouTube videos, not so much. Uh, I would highly recommend a book. It's called Evidence That Demands a Verdict. There have been a few versions over the years. Just this last year, they just re-released it, an updated version. It's by Sean McDowell and uh, Josh McDowell, Evidence That Demands a Verdict. Amazing book. goes super deep into this stuff, and it's mind-blowing how much real-world evidence there is to support the Bible. There are popular beliefs that, like, eh, you know, there's, there's no way we can even prove that Jesus existed. It's funny, you can actually go on YouTube and look at debates of these atheists <laughs> and, and uh, common or uh, leading spiritual, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Leading apologists. There we go. Thanks, Mark. You got my back. Um, and uh, there's one with this guy named uh, Bart Ehrman. He's just very big in the atheist world. And there's a kid who stands up, you know, while they're taking questions and he goes, you know, hey, there's no way that we can even prove that Jesus really existed. And Bart Ehrman, major atheist, historian, goes, don't say stuff like that. It's like, it just shows that you're really stupid. Sit back down. <laughs> There's so much historical evidence that Jesus really existed. So anyway, just an encouragement, check into that. But you don't have to worry about having all the answers. You don't have to have every single answer when somebody criticizes the Bible or something in it. Don't panic. No pressure. If that happens, just continue the conversation later. All you have to do is say, hmm, that's an interesting point. I, I don't know. Let me check into that, and then let's meet back up and talk about this again soon. Or we live in the future, so you can Google it <laughs> and look up some Bible commentary on your phone and work through it together. Another reason that we should be ready to give reasons for the truth of the gospel, Jesus did the same thing. What? Yeah, he did. When Jesus was questioned about being the Messiah, he didn't say, just have faith in me. Just believe it. He gave evidence. He said, look, the blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are healed, the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up. See the evidence. 
He regularly cited scripture to show the truth that he was the one sent from God and was fulfilling the prophecies about himself. Paul did the same thing. Acts chapter 17, verse 2 through 4, it says, as was his custom, meaning Paul did this all the time. As was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah, he said. Note, some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and quite a few prominent women. Notice, not everyone accepted Christ even when Paul spoke. That's Paul from the Bible, and not everybody accepted Christ. He was just getting up to bat. He was prepared with his reasons for his faith, and he was sharing that with other people. And if you're still feeling a little bit timid about sharing your faith, rest easy, because your role is the easy one. (laughs) Someone's acceptance of Jesus is not on our shoulders. It's actually the Holy Spirit who influences people to submit themselves to Jesus. John 6, says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them. Jesus even told the disciples to wait when he was, uh, he was crucified, comes back, he's resurrected, and he tells the disciples, wait before they go out into the world spreading the gospel. Why? Wait for the Holy Spirit. Why? Because no Holy Spirit means no salvations. We don't save people. God does. Jesus obtained salvation for the lost by his death on the cross and his resurrection. We merely arrange the meeting and we speak the truth about him and what he's done. Then we pray and we rely on the Holy Spirit to do the rest. Understanding that truth makes our job a lot easier, uh, which the band can go ahead and come on back up now. We can be confident that every single time we engage in a conversation with somebody, we have an ally. We are not alone. And we don't have to do the heavy lifting. Our job is to communicate the gospel as clearly, graciously, and persuasively as we can. God's job is to take it from there. We are responsible for our faithfulness. We focus on that and trust God to be effective with everything else. Some people will respond positively, and some people won't. But all we have to do is just get up to bat. We leave the home runs in God's hands. And that lifts an enormous burden off our shoulders. Just get up to bat. Start a conversation about spiritual things. Ask the Holy Spirit for wisdom on what to say. So I'm going to run through these points one more time. So one, be prepared with the reasons and evidence for our faith in Jesus. Two, ask respectful, probing questions to start a conversation about spiritual things. Three, put a stone in their shoe. Think of something that they'll think about the next time this topic comes up. And number four, be gentle and respectful. If somebody gets mad, we're not doing it right. And even if you do say something kind of goofy or stumble over your words, kind of like I have a whole lot today, the Spirit of God can take the meager things that we do and turn them into something truly incredible just by our obedience and our faith in Him. 
And if you're here today and you don't yet know what a relationship with Jesus is like, uh, we're going to have some people up front uh, after the band starts playing. So please come forward and speak with somebody. We would love to talk to you and pray with you about that. And we would hate for you to miss an opportunity to accept salvation, to get introduced to the real Jesus and accept everything that he's offering you. Let's pray.